listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Gestural, exploratory, delicate. Inez Thibault is a composer and theorist currently teaching at the University of Utah. Her music has been performed by multiple ensembles in the United States and internationally in Spain, Portugal, and Mexico. Her research work engages with 20th and 21st century music, and she will be presenting some of it at the Society for Music Theory's National Conference in November. Her music is rooted in the postmodern tradition and influenced by perceptual art and complexity. Inez is currently writing a chamber piano concerto for pianist Jason Hardink to be premiered in the spring of 2018. Uh, Inez, thanks for thanks for doing this. Oh my god, and, thank uh, you. Yeah, I want to start off with your piece Alcmeon. And uh, first of all, where does that title come from? Um, so I think I was in my philosophy phase. I was really into mm-hmm. the Greek philosophy for a while there. And um, he is actually one of the very first like philosophers slash medical men. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking about, I think he was post-Aristotle. So somewhere around there. Um, and I had already kind of stolen a few of Aristotle's, uh, works as titles. And so I was just kind of like looking for something else. And I think I kind of, right. I think I read his, his bio and I was like kind of into it cause he seemed like a cool guy and, and no one really knows where that comes from. I mean, unless you're like a really philosophy, like a really big philosophy nerd, you might get, catch the reference, but uh-huh. I was just looking for a name that didn't really mean anything, but that if someone wanted to ask me what it came from, I could tell the little story. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I also, I, I was also doing a little bit of research and I, there's also like a, um, it also comes from Greek, Greek mythology. Isn't oh. there's, there's something with, with that, like, and I, I just read a little bit on it, but it was something about like, uh, this person's father like went to war and said the only reason we're having this war is because of uh, your mother. So if I don't come back, kill your mother. Oh, and oh wow! He did, and then <laughs> then he was like haunted and stuff, and eventually it you know it's it's one of those things. Yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> I think I was thinking more of the. Um, um, I think he was from. Uh, I think mid. So it's not the mythology guy. It's the, the right. it's like myth, myth the philosopher, philosopher. Yeah. And I think he was from Croton and there was mm-hmm. something about, yeah. yeah, there was something about him being like the first medical naturalist slash philosopher. And I don't know. It's just, I think I, I, I like people. I, I tend to like stories where people try to dissect things to figure out how they are made. You know, so mm-hmm. that's kind of, yeah. Does that, and does that lead us into your piece or was this just, <laughs> Maybe, was know. this just a cool title? <laughs> to be honest, it was kind of a cool title because okay. at the last minute they wanted a title and I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> but, I have a, I have a friend who's, who's already been on the podcast. His name is Charles Halka. Mm-hmm. And, uh, at his, when he did his dissertation, he had the exact same thing. Like he didn't have a title for it Mm -hmm. and you have to turn it in online and, you know, fill out all the information and, you know, do that. And it was like 15 minutes before it was due. And he's like, I still don't have a title. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, uh, 
name it is okay. Yeah. That's fine. I mean, in those minutes, you really, truly... Actually, I mean, the most honest titles, right? Because you, you kind of yeah. dig deep into really like just like things that you're interested in like naturally mm-hmm. or just in your core and that just it happens that way so yeah, yeah similar i mean not it was not a dissertation it was for a concert but less pressure right. still pressure <laughs> yeah so this piece is for uh f- amplified flute violin mm-hmm. percussion and um how are you kind of moving through through pitch space in this piece yeah, so actually this piece is kind of a little bit different um, from the ones leading up to that moment. And I actually think this is the last, what I consider my most recent completed piece, actually, because I kind of... Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I kind of slowed down compositionally speaking when you know I had to write my dissertation and then I yeah. started my job and blah, blah. Um, so normally all my pitch material is really thoroughly studied and sketched in my what I call like my little games um Mm -hmm. there's I always try to have a certain continuity that involves saving certain pitches for certain moments and Mm -hmm. bringing them back in a way that obviously I mean obviously it's not like the listener's gonna hear oh that's the first a of the piece or whatever you know but but it's just kind of for me to signal certain structural moments that I find interesting. So this piece was a little bit more loose. It was the first mm-hmm. time I was allowing myself to be a little bit more like ad hoc decision making, you know, and I mm-hmm. was focusing more on, cause there's a lot of non pitch material happening, especially in the flute. Right. It's, and well, and the percussion, right? Yes, know. of course. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think I, I think that's the, I was thinking more rhythmically in a way, and yeah what uh you, you said you're you're using your little games so mm-hmm. yeah what, what are those <laughs> that sounds interesting yeah so um i mean it's it's evolved uh but there was a time for a long time that i would you know i would doodle a few notes and create create little like like not 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 12 tone series because I never, I never used all 12 to do mm-hmm. like a motive like that. But you know, there would be like six or seven tens. They tended to not have repeated pitches in them. So I could treat mm-hmm. them as mini series if I needed to. Um, and then, you know, I would use common 12 tone techniques and rotation stuff to make, you know, make that intervallic co- like coherence, you know, mm-hmm. use it in, in, you know, in the way that, uh, you know, the the common, you know, modern so practice. Kind, yeah. kind of, kind of like just, uh, just set theory? Yeah, I think so. But at yeah. the same time, I always allowed myself to, I, I'm never, I was never strict about rhythm within there. And mm-hmm. so what ended up happening is that I had a lot of, a lot of layers, you know, um, I had a lot of layers of these pitch rotations that were going on that mm-hmm. I allowed myself to I allowed myself to kind of like delay or or change or mm-hmm. omit certain notes or whatever uh depending on the situation because I I think I I always I I really do like the the idea of composing from a sketched out pitch material 
that actually goes against the sketched average material in a way. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, you know, yeah, it's totally. like you gather all your stuff and then you pick and then you pick stuff. I mean, you you know, you gather all your materials and then you you kind of just pick depending on the situation and Right. And then you start and then you start creating with those materials not right. like you just uh uh realize those materials it, as as they were when you picked them or exactly, something. Exactly, yeah. Know? And and so yeah. when I was younger, I mean, younger, um, I, I would, it would be rare that my pitch material was omitted. I, I you know, mm-hmm. I, I gave the pitch a lot of value. And as I progressed, the gathering of materials also involved certain pitch. Uh, so it involved pitch, but then it also involved uh, rhythmic gestures. It involved timbre, um, timbre gestures, mm-hmm. uh, combination of those. So like, um, in this piece specifically, I was very into the idea that the flute would start a gesture, the, the percussion would pick it up, and then the violin would, you know, finish it or something, you know. So, you know, I started combining those things. And as those, you know, the more fluidity I gained, the less important the pitches in a way, yeah. you know. So, well, I think, and I think you have an example of that. Um, there's uh there's a sound that happens around um it's like three and a half minutes it's right after the violin kind of does its first over pressure and mm-hmm. that kind of si- signals a a kind of climb you know a, a little mini climax or or even a kind of a cadential figure mm-hmm. but it sounds like it sounds like grinding Mm-hmm. on a flower pot or maybe I, I actually think it's the inside of the singing bowl that you use. Oh, at the end, right? yes, yes. Actually. Yeah. Um, no, it's not the inside. They, I, he is grinding. He is grinding, uh, on a, on a, on a, um, construction brick. Oh, he's, really? Oh yeah. man. Yeah. He's grinding, okay. um, a glass on it. Yeah. That was yeah. So, for, Okay, for for me, that was such a great little, little moment of the piece. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's gritty, it's gorgeous, it's the kind, it's and when you have this piece that, I, as I was listening to it, I was kind of thinking that the focus of this piece was gesture and mm-hmm. you know a, a lot a lot of attention paid to gesture and kind of pitch manipulation. So I was so my initial thought was, how does a sound like that? make its make its way into uh, yeah. this piece you know so where yeah. you know where's the where's the connection i guess yeah no that's i mean that's such an first of all you're an awesome listener <laughs> oh thanks <laughs> um yeah and these little things these okay so i think i think you're describing exactly what i consider to be my path as a composer for the last few years where mm-hmm. For some reason, I've been able to incorporate these little sounds without first making them sound like gimmicks, you know, because sometimes like that's always the danger. Yeah. yeah. Like you're like, oh, yeah, you're doing this or whatever. Um, yeah. So there's got to be some balance, like some delicate balance that first of all, when you use them, you're like, first, is this cheesy? Is this like overdone or like, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I think the reason why that moment works is because the flute has already introduced a lot of non-pitchy material. Mm-hmm. So every time I start composing a piece now, now, besides doing the pitch sketch, I also make a list of all the possible noise and sound that these instruments can make. 
And then I look for overlaps, right? So I think, okay, so the flute can definitely, um, can definitely flutter. And if she, if, if she flutters on a low pitch, how can the percussion mimic that in using some other instrument, right? So, Mm -hmm. so for the listener at the beginning, you can hear the flutter of the flute, but then the next time you hear a growly thing, it's not from the flute, but it's from the percussion and it's not like a tremolo on the marimba or something. It's actually another growly thing. Yeah. Then the connection, then it like, if for me, it just doesn't sound out of the blue, like they're actually connected in a way. It's part of your language yeah. instead of just being, oh, uh, melody, 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 multiphonic, right, melody, right, melody, right. melody, melody. Yeah, 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 totally. That, yeah. And that's that. I think that's what I, that's what I appreciate so much about it because you were talking about the um the kind of fluttering on a on a low pitch and that's where i think the the choice to amplify the flute right. is it, it means so much to this piece because it gives that it gives that sound so much more character you can hear the little mm-hmm. the you know the the very fine detail that makes that sound so cool as opposed to you know oh well they're fluttering and i'm i'm 30 feet or 50 right. feet away from it i can yeah i can hear it but you know, having like, it's, it's almost like hearing the little imperfections in the instrument yes, or something yes. like that gives it that quality of, uh, that, that is similar in a way to the glass grinding on a, on a brick mm-hmm. or something yeah, or, yeah. or the, or the overpressure on a violin. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I think actually this is, you know, you've, you've kind of hit the the nail on the head on this one because my pe- I, I found that a lot of my a lot of these pieces, a lot of these little gestures that I think a lot about actually get do get lost in the concert hall. So like actually mm. within piece this piece, it was performed twice, and I think the recording that I have is the second time when they they really played amazing. Um, but the first time, um, the amplification was off, like the balance was off, mm-hmm. and a lot of these things that were supposed to be connected weren't because you didn't hear, you know, the flute breathing and the flutter at the beginning and then you couldn't connect it to that or like you couldn't hear like some of the the key clicks or whatever um, connect, you know. So, and I think that's kind of a, that's kind of a flaw in my music sometimes where, you know, it feels like I'm composing for like a very specific environment <laughs> that it has to yeah, be perfect, you know, like, and you right. don't allow, you don't allow for the moment, you know, cause you know, when you hear some, I mean, some music just doesn't matter where you hear it. Like mm-hmm. just, it's just well-written and like it works, like the balance works, you know, but like, I'm, I think this is something that I still need to work on, like how to make these delicate little gestures actually ring no matter what. And the amplification of the flute was precisely this. Um, this was actually something that, as I was composing the piece, I realized, oh shit, oh oops, am I allowed to? Chris, are you gonna? Yeah, yeah, to sure, that? it's fine. No, 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 you're fine. <laughs> yeah. um, we we have a we have an explicit rating on iTunes, <laughs> okay, good. so we're good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that happens is we have, I, I mean, a lot of I I think our generation of composers, the the unfortunately the biggest way we have experienced music is through recordings. Right. And 
And recordings give us usually, uh, you know, recordings that were made in the 70s, 80s and 90s of, you know, like new new pieces or whatever. They all kind of had that similar sound where everything is close mic'd. Everything is very clear. And I think we just get used to that. And then you know, we, we step into the concert hall and we're like, where's that clarity? You know, where's the, where are those fine details that I, that I was thinking about when I was composing? Because right. I, I've, I've had this in my head and, and it's just not there. And, and yeah, it, I, I think that's, I think that's tough, but you know, I think, I think amplification is one, is one answer to it, you know, or right. really just kind of um, really composing with the recorded medium mm-hmm. in mind right you know right yeah and actually i i don't amp- i mean the only really the only instrument that i've always that i've considered i'm doing the amplification on is the flute because mm-hmm. you know the percussion doesn't need it the violin doesn't need yeah. it um but yeah there's some the flute is capable of in, incredible sounds but they have they're so precise and they're so small and like you said like it's not just like the actual s- talking uh, or singing that the uh, or playing that the flutist can make but also like the little mistakes like you were saying you know like just mm-hmm. hearing the actual mechanism of the flute i find that so mm-hmm. interesting but you yeah. don't get that unless you amplify it you know right yeah. the piece kind of starts with really high energy and then mm-hmm. it all kind of dissipates mm-hmm. through throughout the piece i mean was there any well it doesn't seem like there's any programmatic intent right to no. that it just that's the shape you chose yeah and actually i think this it was a conscious choice because usually my pieces are the other way around like they start really slow mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden they pick up um but i think i wanted yeah as i was telling you earlier like this piece i was trying to think differently a little bit not only with the pitch material but also with other decisions mm-hmm. um i think to confess that i try to do like a high energy piece all around you know, like mm-hmm. to start high and just keep it high and then end it. Because I always admired that about good composer. You know, like, I don't know, Beethoven, he just starts and he right. just never ends. And you're like, yeah. 10 minutes later, he's still able to keep up the attention and the energy and everything. Mm-hmm. But I guess I'm just, I'm not, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I, but I think that if you, if you're, if you're looking for something like that, then you can't have these, these moments you know yeah. where you're where you're focusing on the the little the little sounds or something like that and you can't have that mo- those moments of repose that i think this piece has and and does so well especially in the second second half of it mm-hmm. you know so it's like yeah you didn't you didn't write the high energy piece but you wrote another cares? piece like, yeah yeah totally yeah, yeah totally <laughs> well i'm glad um all the all the pieces you sent me use percussion. Are you a percussionist? I am not a percussionist, but I just love it so you much. You could have fooled me, actually. Oh, really? Like, yeah, because yeah. Uh, it's even it's even kind of similar setups that you use in yeah. um, in some of the pieces, and I was I was wondering if that's just kind of what you've developed and kind of fixed on. Like, yeah. was that done intentionally? Yeah, actually, the so once I learned how to write for percussion, for percussion which you know, it kind of came a little bit late. Um, and that's actually pretty common for young composers too, to like percussion mm-hmm. is such a, I mean, it's such a free unlimited world that it's just so like you're, you're just 
you know, yeah. a little bit. I think unless you, unless you are a percussionist as a young composer, percussion is always yes. a, a mystery. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but once, so I, I actually, I was commissioned to write a percussion quartet for this festival in Mexico that really forced me to, and that was the commission. Like it's a percussion quartet. Like I, I couldn't, mm-hmm. I didn't pick it. So, um, I was like, okay, fine, great, let's do this. So once I learned the possibilities and I found a certain sound and a certain setup that I really liked, then I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I'm interested in exploring the percussion more from with other situations. But this this setup is specific. I think it, as it has done, it's worked for me. Um, yeah, and and I think the cool thing is is that like you you know it, you know kind of how to write for it and what to do with it. Yeah. But also if you want to have a couple of these pieces on the same concert, you're not schlepping all these instruments yeah. around, you know, it's like, yeah. okay, just now, now we get the, just the flute and percussion. Now we get the flute and violin and percussion. Now we get the piano and percussion, you know, it's like, yeah, it just works. Yeah. And it actually, like yeah. And, and I think I, cho- it's the setup is actually not like it has a core, and then right, you have yeah. you have the little items that you can add on, you know. So like, yeah, you know, um, because I've the, I think the largest setup for was the with the piano and percussion piece. That's the largest of them of them mm-hmm. all. Um, the one the piece we're speaking about doesn't have. I think it it just has a balance of like pitched and unpitched, and mm-hmm. you can go from the percussionist could go from one from one to the other. Um, and I think I always try to do like the like the right balance between how many unpitched, how many different timbres in the unpitched, and how many different timbres right. in the pitch. And you know, like usually percussionists don't want you to give them like a list of like a thousand instruments because they hate you because it's like you know what yes. I know you're looking for this particular bang on this symbol, but like truly you don't need the symbol just for that bang. Like you can just do it mm-hmm. somewhere else. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's always really fun with um, especially young composers going through their percussion scores and they're like, oh, well, you you used a gong once yeah, and you exactly. used a tam-tam three times. What's the difference between those two instruments? <laughs> right, right. Um, well, the gong is pitched. Well, okay, <laughs> but they're not they're not going to do it. They're just going to play it on the tam-tam. Exactly. You realize that, right? And most they're, likely, they're not going to have these five different it. symbols. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah. no, they'll never tell you about it. And I was a percussionist, and we did that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and you wouldn't even know the difference. Yeah, yeah exactly. Totally. Yeah. yeah, Just don't give them excuses to do that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> right. So who, who are we going to hear on this recording? Um, this is the Cadillac Moon Ensemble. Um, they're a ensemble in New York who are just incredible, just young new music. Actually, they do a lot of, well, they do a lot of commissions, um, mm-hmm. and they also do some like you know, repertoire like you know, postmodern repertoire as well. Actually, modern and postmodern. Um, they have a website. I think it's uh, CadillacMoonEnsemble dot dot com. Mm-hmm. And uh, do cool. you want their names, or they can just figure that out um i think cadillac moon ensemble yeah. is enough yeah. they're great yeah they're fantastic really fantastic awesome yeah so we're gonna listen now to alcmeon and playing it is the cadillac moon ensemble Thank you. 
So now let's move on to your piece, Category A. Mm-hmm. And this is for、uh, piano and percussion.、Mm-hmm. And I watched, the, I watched the video of this performance on your website. We got so lucky you, with that. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. That, that was really good.、Um, you talked in the, in the little like, kind of description before、oh, yeah. the, the performance. You kind of talked about a, a transfer of timbre from one instrument to another. And、mm-hmm. you were kind of talking about that with the previous piece, too. Yeah. Was this inspired by、uh, working, in, working with electronic music? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And not、okay. only working with it, but also studying. At this, I, I did my. Uh, my written dissertation on Mario Davidovsky.、Mm, um, mm-hmm. So I was kind of really, really going there, you know, because、yeah. he's a very he's a very similar guy in the sense of, oh, I mean, I got this from him the idea that you can borrow techniques from the studio and into the acoustic world. And、yeah. it's really interesting how to, how to work that. And yeah, so I was really trying things out. Yeah, Davidovsky is. He's, he's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, talking about energy, I mean, I, right. Like, like you, sit,、yes. you, you sit in his music, like you listen to, like, I mean, I sat through a lot of his music,、um, live and, and just listening. And there's never, like, he just has a way of, like, cap, like, there's no, you know how sometimes you listen to music and you, like, your mind wanders, you know? Yeah. After a little、mm-hmm. bit, and then you come back and you're like, oh, And then you wander away. But like, he's just so good at like grabbing you. And I think this is one of the reasons why、and、I wanted keep, to. And keeping you. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to study his music. He's like, how do you do it? You know, because it's like, it's comp- highly complex music that still, it doesn't sound like noise after a while. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, right. Yeah, it's and it doesn't, it doesn't sound random. It's definitely、yeah. direct. It has a direction. Yeah. And it has, but you're right. It, 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 It could easily fit into that category where it's like, oh, well, you're just, you're just throwing too much information at me. Right. But it doesn't. Somehow it, it still makes. Yeah, I love Davidovsky's、yeah. music. So this piece,、uh, category, is basically like me trying to kind of copy him, like, you know, trying to apply some of these techniques that I'm learning from his music.、Mm-hmm. I mean, not that he wrote, I mean, he's never written about his music. So this was all just my take on his music, you know? So.、Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, it was, it was a really fun piece to write. Yeah. So, seven minutes in, and I know、uh-huh. this is very, very specific,、okay. but the pianist hits a low note, I believe, on the key and then also strikes with a mallet、yeah. inside the、That's、piano. That's right. She hits Incredible、it. sound. Oh, yeah? Incredible sound. Yeah. It's,、uh, I, I was listening to it and I immediately backed it up because I, I think I was. I think I was typing, you know, like、mm-hmm. some of my questions or something. And I was like, whoa, back up the video. What is she doing? Because that was amazing. Yeah. She, see, this is another one of those weird things where, like, I'm trying to transfer. They're kind of. So the percussionist and the pianist are talking to each other both in pitch language, in timbre、mm-hmm. language, in rhythmic language, you know. So I was like, is it lame to have the piano, like, Use a mallet in the string because I, you know, that's another no, gimmicky it's not lame. It's a gimmicky thing, right? Like, especially in a concert where like she stands up and grabs the mallet and people are like, oh, she's gonna hit it. And like, what's gonna、uh-huh. happen? You know? <laughs> so I told her to own it. She was like, just you have to strike it with like all your might. And despite that, she still didn't strike it as like as hard as I wanted her to because、mm-hmm. she was just kind of like, I don't want to hurt, you know? Yeah. So it's like, if you're gonna do it, just go for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, the thing. The thing about this 
uh, about this piece that really kind of hit me was was your control of of density. Mm. And I mean, regardless regardless of whatever pitch choices you're making, I think the the control of density was very nice. And I was having a conversation with my students um, just yesterday about um, a Mark Applebaum piece. Mm-hmm. Um, where he, uh, the only thing he does is use speech and sounds from his voice with no processing whatsoever. It's Mm -hmm. called, it's called pre-composition and it's an eight channel piece. No processing? It's just edits? Nope. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, well, it's kind of like, it's kind of a meta piece. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's called pre-composition and it is literally, uh, a different kind of character in each channel mm-hmm. and they're all and it's all a different a version of him mm-hmm. it's just eight eight mark apple bombs wow. and they're all talking to each other and trying to figure out what the piece is going to be mm-hmm. and that's what you hear mm-hmm. and they were having a lot of problems kind of recon- reconciling this piece as a piece of music mm-hmm. right which is understandable you know yeah but the the thing that i that i love about that piece i mean it's hilarious because he's he's like kind of making a lot of jokes about electronic music in the mm-hmm. in, in the process of it mm-hmm. but but the thing is you can you can listen to it without understanding the language and you can still appreciate it as music because it still has a control of density it has mm-hmm. it it has you know big buildups and 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 thinning out and it mm-hmm. has cadential moments. It has all these things that music has. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and what, like what made me think of that while listening to that piece was actually being in China. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, right. Because, because I was very frequently at a dinner table where I was the only one speaking English. Right. And, and everyone else was speaking Chinese and I wasn't able to understand them. It was all going too fast. But it had that same, so it had that same kind of uh, flow, and you know, there these buildups and letdowns in in terms of density. So that got me thinking, like, oh, I can just listen to this conversation in Chinese, just like I listen to music, right? But the thing is, you replace the you replace that, like you replace Applebaum's just or, ordinary everyday speech with maybe musical material and then mm-hmm. it completely makes sense as a piece of music right and that's kind of what i was getting from from your piece as well like i i think your control of density was careful and you could you could put any materials in there and it would still have a same satisfying effect mm-hmm. in that way um yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for the compliment. <laughs> um, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is this goes with the idea that I was talking about earlier with like layers of things happening, mm-hmm. right? Well, then I yeah. then I read on your SoundCloud you were thinking about characters. Yeah, I guess I meant I guess characters. Yeah, so maybe the character. Did I say characters? That's funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I meant it. Yeah. I think characters in like like a not not like people like as in uh, like in a play you know like oh here's a happy guy right or here's a you know but I right think I sure meant, I think I meant it more in the like description uh, of mm-hmm. things happening I don't know I don't even know 
English is not well, my first language, so sometimes I just use uh, words right, right. thinking that but, that's what's going to happen. But <laughs> but you, you were you were talking about like the relationships between these between these um, these characters, what like whatever they were. They're still you're still having you know your there are juxtapositions, there are right, right. So, yeah. layers, there you yeah. know. So you still have these these kind of four. St- separate streams or yeah. these four identities that are combining together in different ways. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. And actually, yes, I think that's, yes. In that sense, character is perfect because it is true that, so there's the big, so it, it's, it's character and also like, um, spaces, right? So like you have the unpitched space and the pitch space and the process of the piece is for them to kind of cross, Right. So mm-hmm. the pianist starts really pitchy and ends very unpitchy or unpitchy in the in piano language, which is she ends up plucking the piano with random things, right. you know. Yeah. Uh, and then the and then the and the, and the percussion does the opposite. Like she starts really unpitched and becomes really pitchy at the end, you know. So they're kind of they're kind of switching roles in a way, you know. I mean, it kind of mm-hmm. made the pianist the percussionist and the percussionist the pianist, um, right. So that's kind of like one, like those two characters merging in that sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I think within there, there's a bunch of different speeds at which that over, like that, that crossfade is happening. Right. So like mm-hmm. there's definitely a relationship between the middle range of the piano and the, the, um, God, did I use a xylophone at the end? Was it a vibraphone? And the vibraphone that ends the piece. The vibraphone, yeah. yeah. Um, and then in the middle, you know, the resonate, like the, the 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 strings resonating after you hit it with the mallet, um, it kind of transfers over to some cymbal work, you know. So like those things, mm-hmm. those things are also happening at the same time. So it's not just you know, um, yeah. Those look like you said those those streams of things go at different speeds in the piece. So you do get, you do get like the metal character becoming the, you know, becoming the pluck string character, you know, that kind of, that kind of idea. I think that's what I meant. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think what you have done with proportion and, and form, like you say, like that you have different, different speeds at which things are happening. It just, it gives the music a character that is a kind of otherness. Mm, like mm-hmm. you, this is something you don't like. And, and that's what I, that's always what I'm searching for when I'm listening to music is like, what, you know, what have I, what have I not heard before? Right. You right. know, and I, th- and one of those, one of the things that always like makes me, it's like, oh, that, that, this piece just like, it feels good, mm-hmm. you know, because of, because of the proportions and because of like looking, looking at uh, things other than just, you know, pitch and rhythm. I mm-hmm. always think that John Cage and uh, Zanakis, they have the same quality mm-hmm. because, because proportion and, and duration are, are so important to them where like the music will just feel different mm-hmm. than something mm-hmm. that we would just purely intuit or something that would come out of 
a formula, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And actually, so, I think as soon as you, I mean, as soon as you're in this, in the musical space of like melody is not what drives the music, it's just gestures, then mm-hmm. time and the management of time and proportion is actually such a delicate issue, you know, like you really yeah. have to think really carefully about it. Otherwise, you know, it's just, it's it can become really random and very, yeah. you know, kind of just mm-hmm. white noise in the background kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this um this title is coming from Aristotle, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah. So what is what does the title mean for you in terms of how how we get to the music or is it just a title? You know, it's kind of half and half. Um categories is actually a a, a work by Aristotle that kind of does tie in with the idea of characters, you know, he's but it, but it's characters of language, right? So he's he's mm-hmm. he's talking about you know the philosophy of language in that work. So um, I think it's half and half a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was cool. at the time where like yeah I was you know I was learning about Greek philosophy and I was really into it and you know it's mm-hmm. it's just, it's you know it's a masterwork and um, I, th- I I think I liked his. I liked his epistemology, so I was just kind of using it to. Mm-hmm. So I guess more of a title now. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So uh, who, who's going to be playing on this recording that we're going to um, hear? This recording is actually so they're not an ensemble. This was a commission by Dr. Faustus, who, which is an organization that um, I created with a buddy to commission works from composers and hire really good performers in in New York Mm -hmm. to kind of just, you know, bring awareness. Um, And we took turns in every concert to to write a piece for the performance because, you know, it would seem kind of lame if you're like, you're commissioning yourself, you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) But in this one, it it, it took, it was my turn to write for the performers. And she Uh is Mirna Lekic and she is Melanie Seaman. And they're both incredible at what they do. Um, they have their own ensembles and their own thing. So we just brought them together because they were just really good at what they did and they got along great and they did an incredible concert. I mean, this was one of four, this is one of five pieces that we commissioned for that concert. And yeah. Awesome. So this is category A.
and then uh, apple carp apple carpus apple carpus that's right oh jeez <laughs> stress see that title um, actually has to do with the piece that's like the f- oh okay <laughs> so so let's get to it so the the this piece is apple carpus mm-hmm. and is this I I looked on your website it seems like the instrumentation you have on your website isn't what we're going to hear. So, oh, did well. It depends. What recording did I give you? It was a live recording, and it seemed like it had brass in it. It has a trombone. Okay. Yeah, just one trombone. But it did not seem like it had guitar in it, which is what is on your website. I thought. Oh, okay. So the thing with that piece is that um, they perform it twice. Um, the second time was in Spain at the uh, at, a, at a music festival. That, and I had to change the instrumentation around because I didn't have uh, as okay. I didn't have as many string instruments, I think. Mm, and they had okay. a guitar. So there's like a Apocarpus two. Like I named it mm-hmm. two just to like, you know, to not be that person who like changes the instrumentation <laughs> and like puts a different title on it. Right. Um right. Oh, so maybe that's that's the one on 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 Yeah, but the original, I think the original is the one I gave you. Okay. Yeah, cool. That's the one that has brass, yeah. Yeah. So since this title actually has some relationship yeah. uh, to what we're going to hear, what is that relationship? What does the title mean? Yeah. So the title is uh, it's such a nerdy, fancy word that I would never use ever. But um, <laughs> it's it's actually like a botanical word. It's like a uh-huh. type of flower that like it has the petals are not attached, you know, like they're mm-hmm. just detached from each other, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know how some flowers have that. And I really like the idea of having, but but the, but they're similar petals. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're the same color, they're the same shape. They're just not attached to each other, but they're attached to a central thing. You know, right, and I really yeah. like the idea of of having 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 a piece that the instruments were kind of treated that way, and in a way, it kind of ties up with the way I how I hear timbre. You know, like how do I make the cello sound like a trombone. How do I make the trombone sound like a blah? You know, like that's kind of how right. I'm thinking about things. So, I think uh, I thought it was interesting how relaxed this piece can be compared to the other two works, which were yeah. very you know high energy, gestural, and and in this one, it's you kind of hover on the edge of audibility at times, mm-hmm. where the instruments are barely speaking, and I think it gets kind of gets back to. Um, I mean, it shares those moments in the first piece where, you know, the flute is is just barely fluttering on something mm-hmm. and, the, and the string instruments are just kind of barely moving and you're getting all of those all of those nice little things that happen mm-hmm. when you're when you're not trying to make a full big sound. Right. And actually, this is by far I mean, this is the oldest of the pieces I gave you um, by a few years, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think here my preoccupation with pitch was, you can see that my preoccupation with pitch is, is a lot more in the foreground than in the other two pieces. So right. Like, because it's, it, 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 yeah, it seemed like you, you had a different, a different method of controlling pitch, or maybe you're just putting different, different materials into yeah, your Yeah, it's a method. lot more strict. So like when pitch becomes yeah. just the foreground, then things, everything else kind of just goes in the background a little bit, you know? So like the gestures are not as important, you know, the rhythm is not as important, you know, like, so, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a very different piece in that sense, but there's, 
I can see, I can still recognize that it's me a little bit, like a me trying, like yeah. the, the me that that's gonna become like five years later or something like that. You know, like I still have that. Uh, it is true that it's very tranquil and very quiet, and I kind of, especially the trombone, the trombone enters with a practice mute. Mm-hmm. which is like a mute that you only use when you don't want to bother your mom in the basement or yeah. something, you know, like or, basically yeah. when you don't want to make much sound at all. Exactly. Yeah. Where you just want to practice without making any sound. That's exactly right. Um, you know, so I was, I was very, I think at the time I was very interested in, it was, a, it was just a more naive way of, of, of understanding the relationship between pitch and audibility of pitch. You know, like you, mm-hmm. you have this on this, on the paper, is so important. Like you could trace all my sets and blah, blah, blah. And like, all you know, like you could do all that analysis. But then when you hear the piece, you're like, oh, I mean, it's a little, it's like a little bit different, you know, because, yeah. you know, because when you enter with a practice mute at Pianissimo, you really don't hear a B flat, you know, like you just don't hear it. You hear something else, yeah. you know, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I always think it's interesting to kind of go back to to the pieces like, you know, that are five, ten years old mm-hmm. or something like that. And you're still able to see yourself yeah. in them. Even though you're nowhere even close to where you yeah. to to where you were then as you are now. Yeah. It's it's interesting. You can see the still see these little oh yeah. I, I still do that. Yeah. You know, I've 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 like turned it on its head, but I, I, I still do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also it's it is true that um when I sent it yeah, I guess I was thinking about like it's like the one piece that it's old, but that you're still like you're still kind of not embarrassed about it, you know? Like yeah. you could like still uh-huh. sort of talk about it without feeling shameful. So. <laughs> <laughs> and um, is is this an ensemble or is this just kind of a group of players that you got together? Actually, um, this this is this is a ensemble that was gathered. When I was directing the ensemble, the the composers group at during my masters at Queens College, uh, we we actually um, got a lot of money every semester from the administration to put on concerts and invite performances and performers to play our music. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of started this format, which was I started collaborating with this incredibly talented composer violinist conductor who is now like a mega star um he was at juilliard at the time and um he was i think he was finishing his master's or phd at juilliard at the time so he was kind of i went to him every time i wanted an ensemble hey we want a trombone a flute as a piano you know and he would do Mm -hmm. the job of finding all these players so oh brilliant i know so you know (laughs) this semester i think it was my final semester um it was a large ensemble that he kind of put together so there's really no name and you know all the names of the performers they're you know they're in the program and i actually unfortunately i don't remember all of them i i I kept i kept relationship with some but um not all and uh yeah but they're they're incredible they're really good yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's listen to this piece, Apucarpus.
Okay, and now the last question, mm-hmm. um, and that is, how did you come to music as something that you wanted to pursue for your life? Wow, <laughs> that's that's actually a really long answer. I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to zoom zoom in a little. Um, okay, but the uh, I was born and raised in Spain, and music there is actually studied in conservatories, so there it's not studied in university. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, old European tradition. Um, so I started music at a very early age, but music is done like kind of at the same time that you're doing, you know, co- high school and then college. So I was in law school at the same time that I was finishing my undergrad in music, let's say, mm-hmm. equivalent undergrad because it's a right, very different yeah. title. Um, and I actually graduated a year. I graduated the undergrad version of music and the conservatory uh, about half a semester before I had to finish law school. So when I got that title, I was like, you know what? This is it. I'm not doing any more music. It sucks. Conservatory life is <laughs> is really depressing. Um, yeah, it taught me. It, yeah. I mean, it taught me a lot of kind of point and and history and, and theory and like it's you know very solid of all that you know old school conservatory mentality. It didn't teach me anything about new music. I was pretty mm-hmm. bummed out. And the only reason why I had 
kept it for so long was because my parents, God bless them, sent me to music camp in the States during my summers. Mm -hmm. So as a teenager, I went to music camp and that's where I really got to find my voice and you know, learn where, what camp did you go to? I went to Interlochen arts camp. Okay. In Michigan. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I went there for six years. So six summers, full summers are like, but at the time they were also, there were two full months, you know? So it's just kind of like, yeah. I went rogue musically rogue and personally, rogue. you know, like it was awesome. So <laughs> that's why they, that's the only reason why I kept music because it was mm-hmm. summers were fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and I made a lot of good friends, that are artists in that in that uh, in that camp, and um, the year that I finished conservatory, and I, I we were still writing letters, and actually I guess at that time we were already emailing. It's hard to. Um, I was like, guys, this is it, no more music. And one of them was like, you're insane. You have to like, what are you doing? You have to come here, come mm-hmm. check out Berkeley in Boston, Berkeley College of Music come check it out and if you hate it then I won't bother you anymore with this but you cannot quit <laughs> so I, I went to visit we had a little visit in New York and then I took a train up to Boston and true because she you know she, this friend knows knows me very well she's it's just amazing I love this place because it was completely the opposite of any conservatory they were like yeah just kids mm-hmm. like playing jazz and rock and I mean it was just uh, so much fun and I was like okay how do I make this happen and then I went back home and I was like dad mom i'm quitting law school i'm going to this place and they're like you're insane first of all we have no money to pay for this and second of all i mean so i was like you know you know what i'm gonna do it i mean it was actually a very traumatic (laughs) decision in my family Uh but i quit law school and i got a job for a year i applied i got i got you know i got in very little scholarship because they don't really give scholarships like full scholarship at least at the time they didn't really give full rights to composition majors they they really Uh like they really like performers and performers. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I kind of went for it. I, I got a loan for one year only. I got, I got, and I had saved for one, for one, I had saved, I had worked at this stupid firm for a year to kind of save money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went there, I was like, you know what? One year, see how it goes. And after the first year I got, I got a full ride and then I got another more money, you know, like it just kind of kept going. And I was like, well, I, then yeah. I finished my undergrad and then I was like, well, I guess I should just keep doing it. And I like, took a year off to figure out if I needed to do a master's. And then I did that, you know, like it just kind of like it, it kinda was amazing. Snowballed. No, it really did. And, and to be honest, I think the part, the beautiful part of, for me of this story is that it was only going to be like one year. You're like, I was going to come back mm-hmm. and be a lawyer. Like, you know, that's kind of how right. it's going to be. <laughs> and it's just, it's just a magical, amazing thing that happened that I was able to engage and, and do my job well and work hard and people supported me. And I, I was able to, and you know, finish my PhD and get a job, you know, like it was just, yeah. Yeah, so right. Pretty much, pretty much living the dream. I know, I know. Like I truly lived the American dream. I was a bit, yeah. yeah I was a bit older than most, obviously, because I'm doing. I'm at Berkeley when I'm 23, and most of them are, you know, most undergrads are what 18. 18. Yeah, yeah. And that actually was to my advantage overall. I think in terms of maturity, I was able to do get through that very fast because I was doing a lot of. You know, I didn't, I didn't dilly dally for like five years or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's my answer. (laughs) 
Oh, that's awesome. Um, That's great. Well, uh, before we go, can you tell people where they can find you online, Mm -hmm. uh, hear your music, or connect with you? Yeah, sure. Um, I do have a website. It is inestibo.com. It's spelled I-N-E-S. God, my name is just the worst for Google search, but (laughs) (laughs) I-N-E-S and then Tebow spelled T, T as in Tom, H-I-E-B as in boy, A-U-T as in Tom dot com. Um, I'm on SoundCloud, same name. I'm on, I'm on Twitter, but you know, Mm -hmm. uh, on my website you have, there's ways I have, I think I list there the ways to contact me, but yeah, I love hearing from people, performers, um, they can get a hold of me and I send them scores, you know, it's all about, mm-hmm. it's all about sharing. Yeah. You know, they share their talent. So I share the scores. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Inez, for doing this. Yeah. Oh my God. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, you're so good at, you're like such a pro new music podcaster. But, <laughs> you know? Thank you. Yeah. So great. <laughs> Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.